Okay, now. Guys, um, this is the fifth and final episode of um, the treatment of this attribute of God. Um, and do, you, do any of you remember how we started uh, five weeks ago on this one? Of course you don't. Um, <laughs> but I, I put over here on the board something, and, and everybody just ho-hummed it. But here, tonight I think you can... Let me put, do it like this. We have spent four weeks talking about the love of God. Tonight we're going to change. We're going to talk about the love of God. Do you see that that phrase can be taken two ways? It depends on whether it's a subjective, uh, not a subjective, uh, a um, genitive or nominative uh, um, uh, arrangement. Depends on what case the, the, uh, you're, you, you focus on. So I can say to you, we talked about the love of God. Um, and, and, that mean, and meaning by that, the love that God has for his people. But then I can say, we're going to talk about the love of God. And I'm telling you, we're talking about our love for this God, love of God. So tonight, <clears throat> we're talking about this love of God, our love in response to his now, I'd like to start in 1 John 4, but you don't need to really turn there because I'm going to quote this little statement, and then we'll look at some other places. But uh, you know this one to be true. It's 1 John 4, 19, and it says this, We love because we've first been loved. Now, gang, um, I don't think it's going to do much damage to the text if I reverse the, the sequence there. Let me say it like this. Because we've first been loved... We love. Folks, um, it is impossible to experience the love of God and remain unchanged by that. God's love becomes a fuel for ours. Love kindles love. And, and for those who say they know something about that, and yet there is absolutely no shred of evidence of that being there, it's just not possible to experience the love of God. I mean, we, because we've first been loved, we love. Well, of course we do. We love. Because we're a great recognition in what has happened to us because of the love of God. Now, gang, um, here's where I want to start. Paul is the one, I think, that understood this the best. Um, and, and if you want to turn, you can turn to Ephesians 3, because that, that is a great statement in there. And this is, you know, I've tried to say this to you before, um, but Paul was, a, was, a, was quite a theologian, of course, but he was also a pastor. And um, I, I want to read you something that he says, um, and it's about five verses, so stay with me. It's in Ephesians um, 3, verse 14. And he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here we go. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, gang, Paul says to this Ephesian audience, he says, um, here's something I'm really praying about for you. Here's something that you really need. You really need to study the Ten Commandments. You really need to uh, figure out what your spiritual gift is. You really need to understand the ramifications of law. No, none of that. What he says is, here's what I want for you. I want you to know the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of the love of God. Now why? Why is it that Paul's grand prayer request for us is that we know everything that there is to know about the love of God? And I would suggest the reason is because Paul understands that the thing that will ultimately produce spiritual fruit in us is not a knowledge of law. It's a knowledge of love. Gang, the thing that's going to thrust us and propel us is great drafts of God's love. Because that's the thing that changes us, folks. Um, have you ever been in a legalistic place? If you were ever raised in a legalistic world, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing that snuffs out. Do you know where the, the highest, at least in the Christian world, or the professing Christian, professing Christian world, you know where the highest rates of incidence of alcoholism is found? In places that say you shouldn't drink. <laughs> uh, that's a demonstrable fact, ladies and gentlemen. Because telling you more and more and more about law is not going to stop you. And that's not to say we don't need to know the law. We'll see that Sunday morning. But um, it is knowing this that Paul prays for. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is the thing that ultimately changes us. Knowing more and more and more of this. Let me give you an illustration. I've used this before, and I, I, this is really a very um, un... What's the word? Um, un... Um, well, it's not a good illustration. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very unreliable. So don't even, don't even listen. Just sleep for the next couple of minutes. Uh, but... And, uh, because I'm going to use an illustration and I'm going to uh, tell you a little illustration about a wife and I've never been a wife and I don't want to be a wife. But tell me this. I mean, I, I, bet, you, I bet you you wives will agree with me. Um, unauthoritative. That's what I was looking for. This is an unauthoritative illustration because I'm not a wife. Um, when are you most responsive to your husband's leadership? When you feel most loved or when you feel most spurned? When is it that you find inside of you a greater desire to respond to your husband when you are secure or insecure? Folks, when Paul looks at the Ephesian church and says, I want you to know this, is because... I want you to feel 
secure in the love of God for you. Because that's the thing that drives us, propels us. J.C. Ryle, um, I've told this before too, but J.C. Ryle had an illustration that I think is a good one. Um, he talked about, the illustration was um, two different men. Two, um, two different men inherit 10 acres of land. They're side by side. They're basically identical pieces of land. Um, the man that inherited this piece could not quite get over that somebody had given him 10 acres of land. And so he spent all this time down in the title and deed office and calling his attorney and making sure that really indeed that land was his. This fellow, feeling the excitement of this great inheritance that was now his, went out and plowed and planted and plucked and did everything. Now, which one of those guys do you think is going to have more fruit at um, harvest time? Pretty obvious, isn't it? It'd be this guy. Why? Because he was secure in what he possessed. And so it, it gave rise to more and more fruit. Folks, um, very honestly, you know, this has been a rough period of time for the Christian church, at least maybe in our city, but I'm sure in the rest of the country. Because there's been all this discussion about what should be our message? I mean, should we be talking about social justice? Should we be talking about vaccinations? Should we be talking about CRT? Folks, we can do that. And yet, what is it that's going to change God's people? This. This is what's going to alert your soul and make it alive. Is the knowledge of the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God for an undeserving creep like me. <clears throat> now, but folks, if you know anything about that love, you love back. We love because we've first been loved, or because we've first been loved, we love. Gang, um, I, I mentioned that Luke 7, I've mentioned it three or four times in this five weeks, where the woman comes in from outside and she's at Jesus at Simon's house and Jesus uses that little parable for Simon and says, uh, and then he concludes it by saying, he has been forgiven much, loves much. Uh, and the implication being he who has not been forgiven much doesn't love very much. That is, if we feel like we really were spiritual catches for God, um, you know, if, if Kanye West would just be converted... That'll, that'll, that'll do it. Well, folks, apparently he got converted. Maybe. I'm not, I don't know whether he did or didn't. But, gang, the more you know of the extremes to which God has gone to save people like us, 
The more you know something about the height and the depth and the breadth and the strength and the love of the, the love of God, the more it'll drive you. Okay, um, look at this text too, guys. This is an interesting statement. It's found in the book of Jude. Um, uh, it's interesting because we don't often, you know, draw a text out of Jude, now do we? Um, but in the book of Jude, um, verse twenty-one. It's only one chapter, so it's, you know. Um, Jude 21 says this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The, the Puritans call that complacent love. Now, don't, don't think of the word complacent the way you and I normally think of it. They were thinking of something else. They called it complacent love, and you are to keep yourself in that Okay, how? How do I keep myself in the love of God? Folks, listen to the words of Jesus here. This is John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So how do I keep myself in the love of God? How do I abide? I'll tell you where it starts obedience tell me ladies and gentlemen have you seen that little cross stitch thing that you find in christian bookstores you know you go out and you um uh let me give you a thing you go out and you um uh <laughs> you get a dui tell me how close do you feel to god then not two, yeah. Uh, and, and now you got yourself in the legal system. Um, now, what happened? The thing that in the cross stitch, it says, you know, if you're feeling like you're distant from God, guess who moved? It wasn't God that moved on you. He didn't withdraw from you. But you have put this stuff in between you such that your experience of the love of God is not going to be much, there's not going to be much enjoyment to it. So, what does obedience do? Earn God's favor? Heavens no! It keeps me in the love of God. It's the way that I abide in His love. I obey! Oh, that's awful legal, Dr. Young. Well, okay, then take it up with Jesus in John 15, 10. Shall I read it again? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Folks, our obedience earns absolutely nothing. But it does allow us to enjoy intimacy that we otherwise would not enjoy. Um, I, I love this statement too. This is in... Um, this is in uh, Psalm 119. We're going to have to study Psalm 119 one of these days. But um, Psalm 119, 174 says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Can you say that? Your law is my delight. 
Somebody who, who is abiding in the love of God can. Because the law just tells you what commandments he wants obeyed. It's doing us a favor. I, I think one of the reasons that love is so valued in the New Testament is because love decenters self. And that's why it's so <laughs> uh, unappreciated by us because we don't want to be decentered. We would like to remain right smack dab in the center of all things. But love decenters self, which is the last thing we want. And yet that's what you see when you become knowledgeable of the love of God for us. Guys, there are other things that, that I'm sure could be a part of abiding in the love of Christ, but that one is pretty simple. Um, those of us who have tasted of the love of God, how do we love back? How do we demonstrate love? Obey. Obey. That's not rocket science. And in the midst of all of my degrees, I don't need any of them to, under, to, to understand that. If you love me, then you're going to keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love. Um, Stephen Charnock said, the incomparable God evokes incomparable desire. Once you know that God described or mentioned in Ephesians 3, then what grows out of that is an incomparable response of love for him. Um, 1 John 4 does say something about knowing God. That is one of the things that, um, that the love is based on is our knowledge of God. I think that's pretty clear from the Ephesians 3 passage too. But um, before I can love this God aright, I've got to know what he's like. Uh, Jonathan Edwards talks about the loveliness of divine things. Gang, these things that we hold dear are lovely. They're, they're not burdensome. They're lovely. And to know the loveliness of divine things, to know the loveliness of this God, uh, expresses itself in love back. I want to read you, this is another Edwards quote, Jonathan Edwards. Love for God joy in God, delight in God, desire for God, a relish of the things of God, these are the marks of authentic Christianity. Can I read that one more time? Love for God, joy in God, delight in God, desire for God, a relish of the things of God? These are the marks of authentic Christianity. Not whether you've gone to Sunday school every Sunday for 17 straight years. It's these things. Oh, I delight in your law. 
It's, um, it's a lovely, divine thing. Um, one of the things that Edward said, true service is not a substitute for love, but the expression of love. You know, guys, uh, would you allow me, I guess you couldn't do much about it because I got the microphone, but um, um, just a, a, a point of personal privilege. Just because this, this quote from Edwards really struck me. A true service is not a substitute for love, but the expression of love. Gang, have y'all read um, Matthew 25 lately? I'm working on it right now for a little series on the second coming. How about that? Y'all thought I'd never preach on something like that, but I'm going to uh, in about 12 years. Um, <laughs> no, but, you know, Matthew 25 is a collection of three parables. They're all about the second coming. The uh, foolish virgins, the, the, the tenants with the five talents, two talents, and then this, this last one, of course, the last parable in Matthew 25 is a, when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. They're all about the second coming. Um, but in that, um, you know the language that goes on there. Um, because the one that's being put in the goat pile says, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, what am I doing over here in the, in the goat pile? And he says, because um, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. Now, guys, that's pretty scary. Tell me, how many of you have ever been to a prison to visit a prisoner? I don't want uh, ever once. Just once. Just one time. Um, what about, when did you ever have somebody show up at your door naked and you gave them clothes? Did that ever happen to you? Uh, no. no. Um, now, um, feeding the hungry we've done a little bit of. I mean, we certainly pack food boxes every Christmas and we do alleviate some of that need. But you know, if, if that is the standard of being in the goat pile or the sheep pile, in my family, my wife is going into the sheep pile and I'm going into the goat pile. I've been to prison several times, once for 13 years. Um, that's just a joke. <laughs> that's just a joke, folks. I, 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 I haven't been. Um, but, but here's my point. If you'll go back to um, John 21. Now remember the quote. True service is not a substitute for love, but the expression of love. This is in the closing moments of Jesus' life, that is, his pre-ascension. <clears throat> and it starts in verse 15. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed the sheep. That's been very comforting to me. Because Matthew 25 is not very comforting to me. Um, but you see, true service is not a substitute for love, but the expression of love. Now, for those of you who've never been to a prison or clothed the naked or fed the poor, have you taught Sunday school? Well, yeah, I did that. 
Well, you're feeding the sheep. Um, have you been engaged in, um, in any kind of uh, youth retreat around here where the, the, um, the patients are running wild? Um, well, that's feeding the sheep. All, all I'm trying to say to you guys is, um, if you face down Matthew 25, you're going to walk away from there thinking, wait a minute, when did I do that? And you know what Jesus' response is, well, have you done it to the least of these? You've done it to me. Um, but if you haven't done that, then I'm saying, here's something else you could do. Um, Bob, Joe, Mary, Pete, Henry, do you love me? Well, Lord, you know I do. Then feed my sheep. Now that's not to say, forget the rest of that stuff. But for people like us who don't have naked folks showing up on our doorstep, or homeless folks, we do have something by which we can express love for Jesus Christ. Service. Service, ladies and gentlemen. Service. Part of that service being feeding the sheep. Because, as Jonathan Edwards says, true service is not a substitute for love. It's the expression of love for Christ. Folks, this is a quote from Matthew Henry, and with this I'll quit. Matthew Henry does this a lot. Love is the root. Obedience is the fruit. If I've got a, a fiber in me that traces itself back to the love of God, then one of the things that should... No, no, not should. Will. Will be produced is some sort of spiritual fruit. Um, as I said earlier, it is impossible to experience God's love and remain unchanged. So what do you point back to as changes that have been wrought because you have come into a relationship with the thrice holy God? Let's quit. Our Father, would you underscore the profound principles that have been mentioned that because we've been loved first, we love. And if we are going to abide in that love, we are to obey. Like Jesus abided in your love. And that one of the ways that we can express that love is through service. The decentering of ourselves while we give away. Lord, would you raise up a mighty army out of this church to do those very things? We ask it, of course, all in Jesus' name. Amen.